Hello, and welcome to the Alacrial Tarot Podcast, your source for learning all 78 cards in the deck, deepening your understanding and developing your intuition, as well as general advice on your tarot journey. I'm Alacrial, a tarot reader in Iowa, and your host for this podcast. In this episode, we will be examining the Nightmare Before Christmas tarot that recently came out. I believe it was just produced in 2020. So this is going to be a pretty in-depth episode. I'm going to do a pretty thorough analysis through the major arcana, minor arcana, and of course all the court cards. So it should give you a pretty thorough look if it is a deck that you were interested in acquiring. So yeah, sit back, relax, and enjoy this walkthrough slash deck review of the Nightmare Before Christmas tarot deck. so happy to come before you guys today and present uh looks like i'm going to be reviewing the nightmare before christmas tarot deck and the guidebook that accompanies it as well you know i wanted to get this in uh, about halloween 2020 because that was i think when it first came out unfortunately the interest was simply too great and i was unable to get it in time for halloween or Samhain, or as it's celebrated in iowa beggar's night that year but i acquired it shortly thereafter at a discount and actually it's really not that expensive as a deck of tarot cards goes uh, and that's one of the positive points that i will be mentioning in the in-depth review coming up here but anyway that was kind of what i wanted i, I definitely wanted to lay hands on the deck and um, the Nightmare Before Christmas has been something that I kind of grew up with and it was, you know, it's been a part of my life. It kind of has that nostalgic sort of Six of Cups type quality to it almost. So it's no surprise then that I wanted to go ahead and acquire this particular deck. Uh, I am overall satisfied with the purchase. I think that in general it's a pretty good one. So the, basically the Cliff Notes version of this review is... Good budget deck, decent Rider Waite Smith style clone, pretty much. Those are simultaneously potentially selling points and then also potentially points that would uh, cause somebody to swerve away from selecting this one. So let's just get into it and describe what you get here. The deck itself comes in a nice box that has a ribbon sort of release on it. The you know, ribbon runs underneath the cards and you can pull that to help get the cards out of the box. It has some nice gilding on there, some sort of gold foil on the on the front of the box, and in in general feels pretty solid. Um, it'll be a nice enough place to house the the deck. I don't feel like I will need to rehome these cards. So that's kind of nice. Something unexpected but very welcome is the guidebook. The guidebook is really quite good. The booklet first of all is in full color uh, so it has full color illustrations of each bit of artwork from within the major and minor arcana and then of course all of the accompanying information. It does give interpretations for upright and reversed positions there um, as well as a little bit of like 
I don't know, sort of care and feeding of your deck, if you will. Some some tips and ideas about how to get started with tarot if it was your first deck. So it's got it's got those tips in there, and it's also even got some uh, pointers on uh, what spreads you can start out with. And a few of them have been uh, named so as they can be relevant to the theme of The Nightmare Before Christmas. For example, there is one that is called A Peek Behind the Cyclops' Eye. It says it's a great tarot spread to use when you want to find out what's happening underneath the surface of a situation or relationship. It shows hidden aspects and themes at play to give you a fuller understanding of the nature of things. And it's a three-card spread, sort of an inverse triangle. Uh, Upper left-hand corner, you've got number two card. Upper right hand, you've got number three. And then closest to you, uh, and at the point of the triangle, if you will, you have number one card. And it says the number one is the eye. This tarot card represents what appears to be going on. It is the base card that shows your current perception of the situation number two so that's top left shows the nature of an important hidden aspect of the situation so that's number two is what's hidden number three is advice it says this card gives you advice to keep in mind while handling the situation so you can see a fairly basic three card configuration there and that's kind of an example of one of the spreads that they suggest but overall a very nice book a nice uh, little flip through and a good starter resource so like i said it sort of ticks all the boxes for like would it be a decent place to start if you are just getting into tarot or um, are looking to gift a deck to somebody that might be just getting into tarot. Okay, so to get into some of the analysis here, I just sort of have flipped through the deck and I sorted the deck into three basic piles. There were the cards that I thought were good and an effective representation of what the uh, card in question needs to be in terms of the visual Uh, and the illustrations going on. Then there was another pile that was more cards that I thought were kind of ishy. And it was like, um, maybe, but I could have been stronger. And then the last pile is cards that I thought were bad or really did an ineffective job of conveying the energy that it's supposed to be doing. Um... So yeah, Uh, let me go ahead and take you through each of the numbers there behind that. So for the card pile that I was like, these are bad and I don't think that they were effective, I get 19 cards total. 19 out of, uh, you know, there are 78 in a tarot deck. So not horrible when you consider that the deck costs less than $20, from Amazon anyway. Then the next category uh, was the sort of ishy cards, things that I was like, eh, kind of, kind of not. I can see it kind of going either way. And that was 13. So that's 13 out of 78 fell into that category. So if you basically divide the deck into two distinct categories, the cards that I thought were either questionable or not good enough, and then on the other hand, cards that were good enough, you basically get 46 cards that were a little bit questionable. So then if we combine those two categories, we get 32 cards out of 78 were questionable or not great. That leaves us with the majority of the deck is still being like perfectly fine, Uh, that being 46. So 46 cards I thought were totally fine and needed no real uh, change. And so I think that maybe the easiest way to go through them is just in no particular order, um, flip through the ones that I thought were good and give you the highlights on why I thought my 
favorite ones are really good. The Hanged Man is depicted as Santa Claus. That one's a pretty good one. Uh, The general style of the artwork throughout the deck is not like wildly elaborate, but you still definitely get the vibe of what's going on there. And if you're familiar with the actual film on which all of this is based, then it definitely evokes something. So it's effective in that way. The Ten of Presents, which would be the Ten of Pentacles uh, in this deck, is depicted as uh, the sort of orange and black striped snake curling around the tree. And that is, it seems to me, to be kind of energetically effective. It's not like a literal reimagining of the traditional Rider-Waite-Smith imagery, but it seems to do a fairly effective job nonetheless, so I was pretty happy with it. The Emperor is depicted by Santa Claus sort of seated in an armchair. The Ace of Candles is just a vampiric hand holding a single lit candle. So, I mean, it it does the job. Uh, The Three of Potions, which would correspond to the Three of Cups, I thought was a particularly well done one because remember that character in The Nightmare Before Christmas that, like, has a top hat on and then, like, another of, like, a miniature version of him will lift up that top hat and then on his head, an even smaller version of the same thing lifted up another uh, top hat. And, like, I think... I think in the in the movie, the, the littlest one, what he ended up saying at the very last was, is it rotted and covered in gook or covered with gook or something like that? So it was rather funny. But anyway, uh, so this character, which kind of has a trio of, you know, characters uh, under his top hat there, uh, is being used to represent the Three of Cups, which is, of course, three uh, friends or close associates. And so in that way, I thought it was a particularly effective imagination of the Three of Cups energy through the lens of Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas characters. Okay, Uh, so next we've got the Three of Presents. I mean, it does a pretty effective job. It sort of takes you to the scene where they're doing the, you know, making Christmas uh, number, and you've got people going back and forth with different presents, and so you definitely get this sort of teamwork vibe, which is what the Three of Presents or the Three of Pentacles is traditionally known for. Uh, The Devil is represented by Mr. Oogie Boogie, so that's like a very effective card there to me. Judgment is actually zoomed in on a list of, so it's Santa Claus, but you don't see his face. It's zoomed in on his list, and he's like examining his list of names of like the naughty and nice children, and so that's how they represent judgment here. So again, I thought that was a very effective way of uh, looking at the themes in The Nightmare Before Christmas and putting that into a tarot deck. The star is a really effective card from this because it is represented by Zero, uh, the dog spirit or the puppy spirit and puppy energy is very hopeful and optimistic in general and you know zero is wearing a broad smile plus his nose glows bright red Um, so it just kind of works there for that one The Ace of Potions is a hand holding a bottle out of which a butterfly sort of smoky, misty shape is appearing. So that seems to do an effective job for the Ace of Potions there, which would, of course, correspond to the Ace of Cups. Uh, The Five of Candles is pretty good because I always interpret this, or I typically interpret this in the traditional Rider-Waite-Smith imagery as uh, indicating, like, a minor fight. And in this one, we've got five candles in the background, and then in the 
foreground, we've got the the trick-or-treaters, the, so the witch, the devil, and then the skeleton. And the witch is, like, strangling the skeleton and... No, the excuse me, the, the witch is strangling the devil and the skeleton's, like, trying to creep away or something. So they're, like, in the midst of a fight. They're engaged in a fight. And so in that way, I think that they captured the appropriate vibe there uh, in the characters. The Four of Potions is pretty effective because it very carefully and closely mimics uh, the traditional Rider-Waite-Smith image in that there are uh, three cups just sort of there sitting on whatever surface, and then there is this little wisp of smoke that is sort of offering or bringing the fourth potion along, and that's enough to trigger our memories back to the traditional Rider-Waite-Smith imagery. So it, it gets a pass. It's an okay card, I think, in this deck. Uh, Temperance is a good one. Um, it's Sally pouring uh, from two different potions into a cauldron, and it's sort of producing this little skull-shaped smoke cloud. We've got the Strength card. It's all right. It's not particularly inspiring, but it's this, uh, it's the big dude with the axe in his head. <laughs> he's pulling, uh, and there's, he's, he's holding onto a rope, and it's like extending off behind his shoulders, and so presumably he's pulling something uh, rather heavy, and that is the Strength card. So, like, it's a pretty literal thing, and it's like, eh, okay, all right, okay. <laughs> it's not my favorite one, but it's all right. The Sun card, I think, is particularly done well. That one is the scene in which Jack has discovered Christmas Town, and he is going all over singing the, the song, What's This? And the moment that is captured in the sun is when he lowers a, a string of multicolored Christmas lights, like... Um, up to the sockets of his, you know, I mean, I guess where his eyes would be if he had eyes. Of course, he's a skeleton, so like his the the sockets of the skull there, and the the line is sort of like I can't believe my eyes. That's the lyric to the song that he's singing in that moment. So that like moment they're using to represent the the sun card energy which i think is very good because he's quite happy there he's quite joyful and elated and i think that's a good sequence of things or good series good set of things to build into the sun card in your tarot deck the Magician is, again, okay. It's not the most effective. Um, it's just a depiction of the two witches from Halloween Town, the larger one and the smaller one. The Hierophant is depicted by the mayor of Halloween Town, which I think is particularly appropriate. He gives me very, very much Hierophant kind of vibes. The Five of Potions is well represented with three of the potion bottles tipped over, two of them upright, and it is the moment in which Jack, dressed as Santa Claus, has fallen out out of the sky or has been shot down and is sort of laying on the uh, the arms of this statue, this an this angel statue in a graveyard type of thing. So it's it's got the right vibe, it's got the right feeling, and the emotional resonance is there. And so I think that one's an effective one too. The Ace of Needles is a hand holding a threaded needle. That's presumably Sally's hand, and so it is effective there. Uh, the High Priestess is represented by Sally, and it's not really... Oh, you know what is actually... In her hand, there is like a little a little flower, a little dead flower or something in her hand. And in the, in the movie, she uh, picks petals off of it one at a time, and then it transforms into a Christmas tree, and then that bursts into flame. And she describes this later to Jack as ha having had a vision. And so that's there reminding us of her connection to intuition. And so in that way, she is representing the high priestess energy very well there. I think that's quite effective. 
Let's see, what else have we got? The Nine of Needles, which would of course be the Nine of Swords, is uh, nine needles uh, sort of floating in the air, and then there's this one of the sinister clowns on a unicycle is sort of in front of that, so it just kind of gives me the right vibe there. I feel like that's an okay card. The Three of Needles is a sort of patchwork heart that has been skewered by three needles, and so it is very reminiscent of the traditional Rider-Waite-Smith imagery, so it's fine. The Five of Needles, which of course be the Five of Swords, Swords, therefore a more serious type of fight is depicted as the scene, uh, the confrontation between Jack and Oogie Boogie. So that is kind of like the crux, of the, the climax of the movie, if you will, and therefore uh, I think it captures the appropriate level of drama uh, that is meant to accompany a fight that is described by the Five of Swords, or the, in this case the Five of Needles. One of the next cards that we've got here is the Fool. That is uh, Jack striding through the forest with Zero at his side. That makes total sense as in the Rider-Waite-Smith deck there is a little white dog that accompanies the Fool. So it like actually is brilliant. It works. <laughs> the Empress is depicted by... Do you know, I don't know who she is. She's this sort of like... Sort of older grandma kind of looking character a larger female entity with this sort of like bright red lipstick really wide smile on these sort of glasses that are teardrop shaped maybe with yellowed lenses in and I don't know, she's just sort of this generally disturbing female character from Halloween Town. I don't know what she's meant to be or what she's like, why she's scary other than just generally creepy. <laughs> but she represents the Empress, and just in that she is a larger, full figured female, I kind of get that from an art history standpoint, just sort of the fecundity, fertility vibe from it, and therefore the like, the, the female power of creation and creativity it all kind of flows from that so I can kind of get it um, it's on the verge of being a little bit ishy but I, I decided to let this one go because I was like alright okay I can kind of see it so uh, that's the Empress card there okay then we've also got the Wheel of Fortune. The Wheel of Fortune is represented by, do you remember at Oogie Boogie is sort of like weird casino, not really casino, but casino inspired type place. There are these like saw blades onto which like skeletons had been like strapped by their four limbs. And then they would, those blades would rotate when like he did various different things in his hideaway, you know? Anyway, uh, that's what's being represented here as the Wheel of Fortune. Um, so in that it is a wheel, in that it can, you know, rotate, okay, fine, we get it. It doesn't really take much. It, I mean, as long as you've got a circular pattern going on in there, then I think we could get Wheel of Fortune from it. So I let that one pass. Uh, the chariot is done particularly well. That is a depiction of Jack dressed as Santa Claus in flight with his ghastly sleigh and his skeletal reindeer, and then of course Zero at the head of his team. The Six of Needles is done really well, and it is a reinterpretation of the vibe of the traditional Six of Swords energy from the Rider-Waite-Smith. But this is represented so we've got Sally seated here and she is sewing herself back together I think it's after she escaped the clutches of that mad scientist dude that created her or whatever she threw herself out of a window and then she picked herself up sewed herself back together and moved on the expression on her face here too is like slightly sad but not too sad so the 
picking myself up and sewing myself back together and moving on kind of vibe is a little bit the same as some of the refugee type of needing to move on energy that is present in the Six of Swords and the Rider Waite Smith. Because remember, that one depicts um, a mother and her child with six swords in a boat uh, and they're leaving for perhaps an uncertain future, but one which hopefully is better than wherever they've come from. So if you think about it in those terms, Sally representing that kind of vibe here, even though there is no boat, there is no water, there's none of the traditional scenery that would go along with that card, I think uh, this deck has done a good job in imagining what that energy might be represented as from the cast of characters they had to work with. The seven of potions is pretty effective because it's just got seven different bottles and then different smoky shapes are coming out of them, and so like that's essentially all you need for the seven of cups card i think so good job there and then the last card that i thought was pretty okay was the lovers and that is a very sweet depiction of jack and sally holding hands so uh that's that there the court cards were some interesting selections and they're kind of what i would like to review next here and give you some of my impressions of them Okay, so for the Tarot Court, I will start with Cups. For the Page of Cups, which in this case is the Page of Potions, we have the little kid in black and white stripes with his eyes sewn shut. He's one of the one of the characters from Halloween Town, and it's sort of him on the edge of the water feature, the, the fountain in the middle of town. And there is a single bottle containing who knows what, but it's meant to be a potion uh, next to him. So he is representing the page of potions in this deck. Fairly okay. He's got the youthful vibe there, and there is a potion prominently represented. So like, okay, we get it. The knights, I feel, are a bit disappointing, but I mean, maybe not. Not really. You just obviously there's no horses in this, so the knights aren't really being represented as mobile, um, and that is a critical feature behind kind of some of the meaning of the knights, um, depending on how you're reading them. And so because that element is lacking in every single knight from whatever suit in this deck, that they're inherently a little bit weaker in my opinion. But this one is being represented by that guy whose like face is just really drippy. He's just like I don't know. Um, yeah, he looks like he's made of just, like, molten clay, and he is also holding a potion, so that's what our Knight of Potions looks like in this deck. Queen of Potions is where it gets a little bit better, um, it's actually quite an interesting depiction of that character, I guess... I don't know, it's, it's, it's green and scaly and it's got fins on and it, uh, it also sometimes like might live in the fountain at the center of town, I'm not sure. But it is depicted as um, appearing in this large vat of water and it's sort of got this mermaid tail coming up behind it. So in that way, it gives it does do an effective job of conveying a sort of feminine vibe. So queen we get out of there in the understanding of the traditional gender role. It has been, it looks like, this has been uh, I don't recall in the original film that it had much of a uh, gendered shape to it but it looks like the artist has sort of given it a narrow waist and wider hips and then also kind of a bust to be more distinctly feminine to represent the queen I guess um, has been has been the approach here artistically and then the king of potions which 
personally I am not happy with this depiction is um, Igor, the uh, assistant to the mad scientist, and he is holding a very large bottle. It's like as large as his upper body sort of thing. The reason I don't like this is because Igor is an assistant and therefore subordinate, and the king should be the highest ranking member of its suit. So I don't love that depiction of the King of Cups, and that is unfortunately one of my favorite members of the Tarot Court. So, not great, but okay overall there, I think. The most effective card in that sequence, I think, is kind of ironically the Queen. In that, it just conveys to me uh, it strikes a, she strikes a very queenly pose, it describes kind of a watery essence there, so it is the closest to being satisfying of the Court of Potions or the Court of Cups. Next, if we go on to the Court of Presence, we've got the Page of Presence represented by an elf that's tucked into bed. I think that's a very effective portrayal of the page energy of presence, particularly for presence, which in this case is, of course, representing pentacles. The Knight of Presence is a larger elf that is, uh, like, see, he's seated, I think, next to a conveyor belt that has stockings on it, and he has got some sort of clipboard and is, like, checking off that they've been stuffed correctly or something like that, I guess. Um, so... Okay, it's a, again, the knights are kind of a weak point, I think, in all of the court cards, but it, it's okay. Uh, the Queen of Presence is being represented as Mrs. Claus, and she is pulling a freshly baked pie out of the oven. So I think that is a good depiction of what the Queen of uh, Pentacles energy ought to be. And then lastly, the King of Presence is represented by Jack, holding up a black and white striped uh, wrapping papered present, and he looks quite happy, so... Yes, on the whole, I would say that the uh, Court of Pentacles, or in this case, the Court of Presence, is a little bit better in terms of its artwork and symbolism than the Court of Potions in this deck. Next, we've got the Court of Needles, and this, of course, corresponds to swords. Uh, for the page, we've actually got uh, the three trick-or-treaters in the bathtub when they're going off to collect Santa Claus, abduct him for Mr. Oogie Boogie. You know, I think it's a fairly decent representation of the page of Needles energy because the page needs to represent youth, and of course, they're trick-or-treaters, so they're youthful, but also they're kind of vile, reprehensible little gremlins, aren't they? And one of the things about the page of swords that is sometimes overlooked is that in any kind of way where it's describing the more negative side of the page of swords or where the negative nature of the page of swords is emphasized you get things like gossip and like deceit things that can be created out of air um, because of course it corresponds to air so like lies and things like that constructions mentally or verbally that are deceptive and I think that that kind of vibe is present in the trick-or-treaters. So in that way, it kind of bumps up the reminder of the negative side of what the Page of Swords can bring. The Knight of Swords, or in this case the Knight of Needles, is represented by the devil. It is... 
uh, strangely and just kind of on an energetic does it work does it click with me kind of level i would say it's the most effective night um maybe the night of candles when we get into him later on can rival him but i know i think the night of needles is the best so the night of swords is the best one he just has this expression that is very self-assured very confident very like I'm about to spring into a rapid flurry of action type of thing, which is, of course, a component of the Knight of Swords, is it's the fastest moving knight. And because it's got this feeling of, like, coiled potential energy in this card, it comes closest to being what the knight's energy should portray, I think. Again, just my opinion, but like, whatever. I'm actually quite happy with the portrayal of the King and Queen of Needles here. And the reason is that the King of Needles is portrayed as the mad scientist that created Sally. So like, obviously, um, very intellectual, very like, you know, scientific. And so in that way, he represents the suit of swords well. The Queen of Swords, or the Queen of Needles in this case, is his companion he makes after he understands that, like, Sally is not for him. So then he creates uh, a different companion. I believe he, well, I don't know if this actually became her name, but he refers to her in the movie as my precious jewel. So maybe he called her jewel. I don't know. But she is depicted in a beautiful fur cap and scarf uh, there. So the outfit that she was wearing when it snows in the final scenes and she is pushing the mad scientist out in his wheelchair um, to see the snow sort of thing. So I don't know, but I particularly liked those two as the king and queen of uh, air, needles, swords, whatever, you know. <laughs> okay, so let me also have a last look here at the final suit is candles, which is the analog to wands in the traditional Rider Waite Smith here. The page of candles is that weird bat uh, demon imp creature whatever that like walks around on the points of its wings rather than on its um, feet. Anyway, it's smiling and holding a candle. Yeah, okay, it looks like immature and like I don't know, impish and therefore slightly youthful. Eh, it kind of works. Like, eh, let's not think about that one too hard, but yeah, it's okay. The Knight of Candles is represented by the werewolf, so the wolf that is basically wearing a tattered uh, man's shirt. It, in this card, it's depicted as sort of this orangey-yellow color, and he looks like, you know, he, he's like the most muscular-looking knight of the all of the court cards, and I think that that's appropriate because he's kind of the do-you-even-lift-bro uh, archetype sometimes. The knight of uh, wands can be a very um, physical being or physically oriented type of being, so maybe into physical fitness, and I think that that is kind of an effective way of representing that here, in that we've got this very muscular man-wolf creature thing uh, portraying the knight energy. So um, pretty okay there, especially for not having, like I said, that horse pretty effective for not having that horse element that I think is missing from the knights, and that would be the only thing. If we could find some way to convey that, like, movement aspect, that would be the only way I could think of to improve the knights um, in, in this sequence of court cards here. 
next we have the king and queen of candles now the king of candles is represented as jack but before he has like immolated himself and dipped himself into the fountain at the center of town and re-emerged as a skeleton so rather than as a skeleton it's him when he's dressed up and has got a pumpkin head um, and a sort of scarecrow like or scarecrow looking and that is the king of candles the queen of candles is represented as a black cat sort of in front of a single candle and she is creeping along a a wall I think that the King of Candles is a more effective representation than the Queen of Candles. In this case, the Queen of Candles really lets down the court, I think, because, again, it's not as powerful as it needs to be. It's got a mystique to it and a mysterious kind of vibe to it, and that's fine, but that's not really what I think of when I think Queen of Wands. Um, She needs to have more fire. She needs to have more presence than this cat that is creep crawling along this wall here so i don't think that the queen of candles is a particularly effective representation in this deck but that takes us through all the court that is my reactions my honest reactions to all of the court and we've also been through the cards that i liked so that just leaves coming up next here we're going to talk about the points that i did not think were so effective in this particular deck uh, so things that you want to consider on the negative end of the spectrum if you're consider picking the deck up for yourself or gifting it to uh, a friend or a family member okay so next i think let's talk about the kind of ishy cards as i <laughs> referred to them earlier first of all let's talk about the tower The tower is represented in this deck as the tower that is a part of Jack Skellington's house. So you see when they're doing the musical number, something's up with Jack. You see kind of the glow coming from his tower and he's working up there trying to sort of understand Christmas. And the way it's depicted in this deck is it's a silhouette of the tower and there's a moon and some cloudy skies going on and it's all quite dark but there's nothing there's no spark of lightning no calamitous event that is obviously going on as there is in the traditional Rider Waite Smith so rather than giving me a sense of dread or fear or like seeing that upheaval that is meant to be talked about by the tower card i'm getting more of the moon's energy more confusion out of this particular tower card and so as a result uh, it's kind of iffy to me the next card is death another of the ones from the major arcana here and the reason that this is on this list is because this is merely a landscape picture first of all that is its first trouble uh there is no figure no figure of death no figure of people dying no figure of people living just there's no figure at all it's just a landscape view of the entrance or gate to a cemetery uh, presumably the one that is a part of the outskirts or border of halloween town the reason that this is ineffective or like yeah borderline one of the bad ones to me is that because it lacks the figure nothing is really going on here um there's no action and while i guess you don't need the figure for it to be acceptable as a card that depicts uh, some of the things that death is talking about this looks more like a destination rather than a journey 
And so that also changes the way you you might think of death. If you, I mean, if death is being represented by a place, a graveyard, that's not as complete an image as death that comes, picks you up, and carries you away on his white horse sort of thing. That is more a journey. That is a story. And death as a graveyard is just, what it says on the tin it's just death and there's no transformative element to it um, nothing like that present in the imagery so and then on a far more practical just everyday level i'm sure they thought death well gee let's ah graveyard perfect <laughs> i feel like that that moment that line it's, it's perfectly encapsulated by that line in the devil wears prada when um miranda Priestley, uh, played by meryl streep <laughs> interrupts his florals for spring crowd breaking that's, that's kind of how i feel about this death card oh a cemetery for the death card groundbreaking um not <laughs> but anyway <laughs> sorry about it i'm getting a little bit too enthused about my negative criticism there um Another card that I don't like and it's going to be a little bit iffy and probably um, a little bit harsh sounding in some of this criticism is the Hermit card. The reason is because I really like the Hermit card. And this one is depicted by that creature that hides under the stairs and has uh, fingers that are snakes. Um, and if the lyric of their song is to be <laughs> believed, then also spiders in his hair. Um, so yeah, it's just the lurky stair monster, and it is just a picture of him creeping under the stairs. He has this really sinister smile, and like his one eyeball that you can see is like focused on whoever might be walking up or down the stairs, and it sort of has this I'm waiting to get you type of vibe to it, and that's not at all the vibe of the hermit, so it's just very borderline inappropriate. It does have the element of like oh isolation and uh solitude perhaps um but there is also none of the symbolism that on the traditional rider waite smith uh artwork makes the hermit kind of interesting it tells a more interesting story for example the hermit is usually depicted with a lantern uh there is no source of light here whatsoever <laughs> um so yeah it's just like those those sorts of things they're important those symbolic details are important so it is stripped back a little looks like some of these cards in the majors here and it's making me a bit more uh irked <laughs> let's see we have the moon. The moon is an ishy card here because, yes, we have a giant picture of the moon. Unfortunately, this is the scene in which Jack is singing his big, like, I want adventure in the great wide somewhere song. He's singing about how he is not content with his life and what he has and the box he's been sort of penned into and how he, you know, wants a bit more out of things. Um, how his bones long for it, that sort of thing. So it's this longing for adventure, this need to break from routine that is being described in the song. And because this scene is so recognizable as a part of that song, it contains a very different vibe than what the moon is meant to convey. The moon is, of course, meant to talk about confusion. Um, and I can kind of see it again because Jack is 
singing about something he wants and he thinks is ultimately going to fulfill him and make him happy, but what he finds is that fulfillment and happiness does not come from the adventure, but rather it's an attitude that one has to cultivate in oneself and decide that things are good enough and that things are happy enough or joyful enough, etc. But he would not have been able to come to that conclusion had he not gone on his adventure, so... Eh. You know, you see how I, what I mean, though. The meaning is a bit muddled there. It doesn't hit me with moon vibes immediately. So, iffy. Iffy, iffy, iffy. Next one, the world. The world is actually depicted by the scene where uh, Jack wanders into that clearing in the forest, and there's all these trees, and then the little tree trunks open to different, presumably different holiday worlds. Uh, so it's just that scene, and it's talking, and it's saying the world here. So, to me, it's a bit sparse with the details. Uh, First of all, the only holidays depicted here that you can actually see are Valentine's Day, um, Halloween, Christmas, and Easter. So, only four of the holidays uh, there are visible on the trees. The rest of them are not. The trees are simply silhouettes, dark shapes, and you cannot see what is on around or you know, a part of them. Uh, so that's incomplete. It's sh- it's like showing a semicircle almost. So I'm I'm not really thrilled with uh, that because the world is about completion, harmony, the end, and the harmonious conclusion of a cycle, the blending of opposites. Um, it does have, to its credit, like on the original world card, we do have four different signs of the zodiac. Um, uh, represented there. We have Scorpio as the eagle. We have Leo as the lion. Aquarius is represented by the man or the human uh, there. And then there's Taurus the bull as well. So we do have four zodiac signs represented there. And so we do have four holidays represented here. Valentine's Day, Christmas, Halloween, and Easter. And they do sort of occur not really though because easter and easter and valentine's day kind of come too close together if they'd had one that was more summery but we don't really have a good uh summer holiday or one was not depicted in the original movie i don't think so i sympathize because it it, it's a it's a halfway there but it's not quite all the way there for me I don't have a good solution on how I would fix the card or how I would, you know, what I would choose instead of this clearing to represent the world vibes, but uh, it's not quite it for me. Another card that is not quite it is the Justice card. This is a picture of Jack uh, behind a podium. Uh, the scene when he is explaining to his townspeople uh, the plan for Christmas, what he had planned to do, that he wants to take over Christmas and he wants the Halloween people to be in charge of it this year. That to me is not at all related to justice. There is none of the traditional justice symbolism here. There's, you know, no, no sword to cut decisively with the intellect. There's no scales there's the vague notion that jack is in charge in a position of authority so i mean i guess that's the only thing because obviously justice is sort of dispensed by a judge that's how it's originally depicted in the rider weight smith it is a judge of some sort i suppose but like yeah it just doesn't fill me with quite the right vibe so there's that one Another one that is iffy is the Eight of Potions. This is a scene in a graveyard where we have eight vessels of varying shapes and sizes just sat upon the ground. 
Huh, not ideal because again, it's a little bit too sparse with the symbolism for me, and there is no sense of movement going on here. There's no figure, so there's no action, and we don't get a sense of how we're meant to read uh, that. Next, we have the Ace of Presence, where this would correspond to the Ace of Pentacles. One would have thought, oh, we're, we're just going to show a bright, brightly wrapped you know, box, a box with a bow on it sort of thing. No, no. We show one of the creepy dolls that goes flying after children and terrorizes them in the movie. Uh, it's got bright red lips and sort of jagged teeth in this sort of cape, and it's vaguely a humanoid thing. It's sort of got like pigtails but they're not tails they're little little knobs little balls and so it's sort of like panda bear ears i don't know very disturbing creature it does not convey ace of presence vibes this conveys ace of demented doll that's about to attack children vibes like that's i don't know it just it doesn't do it for me and i'm like this one yeah why did you why did you pick that that doesn't make sense to me so i was not happy uh, the Five of Presence. This, the only thing that vaguely makes me think of what I need to think of in terms of the imagery and associations for this card is that the presents are kind of old and tattered. There's like a couple of rips in the wrapping paper. The bow is not looking very fresh on this one here. But we've got four presents and then one that is sort of unwrapped, so it was unclear as to whether or not it's a present, and it's the duck with the bullet holes in it and the jagged teeth. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, it doesn't really, I mean, it has five bullet holes in, so in that way it conveys injury, and I, I like that because that mirrors sort of the, the crutches, uh, as represented in the original Rider-Waite-Smith, but, uh, it, it doesn't really, I don't know, I mean, it, it, it's hard to do with presence if you take it quite literally, you know? So I'm not sure how I might have done that. This approach is adequate, and that's why it's in the iffy pile, because I can see it still, but I'm not thrilled with it. So that's that's that one. Another one that I'm a little bit more irked by is the Four of Presence. That would correspond to the Four of Pentacles. That needs to convey sort of a miserliness or a highly structured sort of a stinginess kind of a... I don't know, uh, the Capricornian approach to money uh, and to finance and to stability. It, it, needs to, it needs to radiate stability. It is a four, after all. And Earth. Four of Earth. Four of Pentacles. Four of Presence. We have four little mice, and then they've got four little pieces of cheese that have been wrapped with a little ribbon. And they don't look... They they just it doesn't give me the right vibe. Their expression, what they're doing, they're not really doing. They're just hapless mice on the ground with some cheese. It's I mean it has nothing to do with anything to me. I I don't really get it. So I was not happy with that one. The next one is the eight of needles, and it's a very pretty uh, image actually. It's a shame to have to say it's a bit ishy. It is an image of Sally either loosing or sewing back her arm that has you know come off on one side, and it has this sort of free flowy blowing in the wind kind of uh, energy about it trouble with that is the eight of needles would correspond to the eight of swords that's about self-imprisonment and this is really giving me more vibes of setting oneself free and yes that can be like the outcome or the desire of the eight of swords but i don't usually see it represented as freedom which is kind of what i'm getting here 
from this card, I see it represented as entrapment. Now, one can argue, ah, but is she really free? It's freedom at a tremendous price. It's freedom at the cost of her limb. Is that freedom or is that a sacrifice that she is willing to make in order to free herself, which is very much in line with the Eight of Swords energy? I can see it. It connects, kind of, but you have to think about it and you have to go through some mental gymnastics to get there. And so for that reason, the Eight of Needles is a little bit iffy. Okay, so we've got a couple of more in this category. We've got the Ten of Needles. That one is just a pumpkin-shaped pin cushion with ten needles stuck into it. That's it. So it doesn't convey the sense of betrayal, the sense of, you know, bitter finality that there is present in the Ten of Swords depiction in the original Rider-Waite-Smith. This, to me, is a quite lazy depiction of the energy in the in the card because it's just tin needles there i mean you know now on the other hand <laughs> if we're going to argue on the side of the deck creator the artist the you know the the many talented individuals that worked really really hard to put this together then we're obviously going to say okay but it's needles though if we resolve that we're using needles to represent the thing like you don't have a lot of option in terms of working with or conveying what you get by ten swords stabbed into somebody it's needles guys like it's it's not it's not the same thing however i mean yes that's true but i think more could have been done than simply a pumpkin shaped pin cushion could we not have thought up a tim burton-esque kind of voodoo doll sort of situation that at least would give the humanoid figure there and then you'd have the needles piercing a figure and that would give you sort of the same vibe of the ten of swords from the traditional rider white smith to me something like that that approach would have been a little bit better so it's like there was a missed opportunity here with the ten of needles i think and the last one I want to talk about here is the Two of Needles. Uh, two of Needles because it is a picture of Sally sewing on... She's working on uh, Jack's Santa costume. She looks resigned. You can almost hear her sighing, like, ah, all right, all right, okay, fine, in, in this picture. And that's not, to me, the Two of Swords energy. The Two of Swords energy is more about being in, not decided yet, needing to make a decisive choice between two difficult alternatives. But that being said, I can kind of see what energy we're going for with this depiction here, because at this moment, Sally, the character, is feeling kind of trapped. She's had this vision. She sees that things are not going to go well if events are allowed to continue to play out and unfold as they naturally would. She knows that things are going to go a little bit sour. But Jack is also not listening to her, and so she feels like she is caught between two equally untenable and undesirable scenarios. So she is simply she's sort of sighing and just sort of breathing into the work and just, you know, sewing the Santa suit because that's all there is apparently to do at this moment. So I can kind of see it, but it's a little bit off from the traditional vibe of the two of swords now the reason all of this batch of cards that i have just got done speaking of the reason they are not in the bad cards category is because frequently they offered a different perspective on some of the same traditional energy not always but frequently they did and it is good to have different perspectives and it's good to have our perspectives that are even you know very firm and very traditional it's good to have those challenged every now and again because you know you don't want to get so rigid that you can't learn and that you can't um, accommodate for some broadening of your intuitive and interpretive abilities when it comes to tarot. Having a broader range, uh, I think, makes a better reader. 
Now, that being said, that takes us through well over half the deck. We talked about the numbers earlier on. That brings me to the final category, which is cards that I think are bad in this deck. Cards that I don't think necessarily offer a fresh perspective. Cards that either may have been executed a little bit hastily or a little bit lazily for whatever reason, and we'll go through them pretty quickly, I think, here, because some of them there's not much to be said for. That is certainly the case with card number one in this category, which is the Four of Needles. Oh, but look, let's just go ahead and tell you that the Seven of Needles is also falling into the same category, so let's just talk about the both of them in the same breath. Why? Because both of them are literally just depictions of that number of needles, not even arranged particularly, like, in in some kind of specific way. Just sort of, like, with reference to what looks okay artistically. Yeah, I can see that, but not necessarily uh, what's going on symbolically. Four of Needles is, you know, depicted as that guy sort of questionably in a crypt or on this rather elaborately carved bed. It's kind of a little bit uh, ambiguous there. Um, and it's talking about rest or going within or the calm before the storm. Those are all things that I would associate with that. Well, how are you going to get... These aren't even on a table. They're not even placed in space. They are just on a colored background. Just in this case, it happens to be green. In fact, it happens to be green on the both of them. So the four of and the seven of needles just really don't do it for me. They, no. Same as the two of potions. Two of potions is just two vessels. There's, they're non-specific. They're kind of nondescript. They're just two vessels. Again, not placed in space, just on a background. The six of potions is pretty much the same way, but each of the vessels at least has some uh, sort of withered plant life sprouting out of it. Um, I guess that's meant to be a depiction of growth, but Six of Potions, that's sort of more about nostalgia to me. I, I Again, I don't see it. So to me, that's missed it, and it was also kind of lazy on fr from an artwork standpoint. It was like that one didn't take a lot of time. Again, oh look, that's going to be our primary gripe for this card category, is the Nine of Potions. Nine of Potions is an important card. It's the wish card. It's meant to convey you know, having pretty much all that one desires. And what is this? This is the, these are at least placed in space, but it's just nine random vessels and it's on the interior of a rather dingy cupboard. That's it. They're just like four on the top shelf, three on the next shelf, and then two below that. So like, it it's the most boring depiction of cups there could there's no there's no self-satisfied man there's no the cups are not glowing that you know it's there's nothing to indicate that this is the wish card so bad <laughs> um the 10 of potions i'm really ragging on the uh suit of potions cups is one of my favorite suits and a lot of these are just really disappointing the Ten of Potions has this pumpkin that is letting out this sort of belch of steam that is winding up and curling around, and then it's got, uh, all within the same color story, ten vessels just sort of floating in the air. There are no, there's no people, there's no lovers, there's no children, there's no dog, there's no rainbow, there's no, I mean, obviously, you wouldn't expect that, because this is a, using themes from the Nightmare Before Christmas, but the lack of figures really bothers me in this one, and also, it just doesn't give me the sort of happily ever after vibes, per se. There were, there were other opportunities for that, definitely. You could have taken any number of scenes from the final 
uh, bits where it's snowing in uh, Halloween Town as kind of their Christmas present from Santa Claus, the sort of a, a triumph where people are willing to experience something new and the reprise of what's this plays. Like, that would have been a great place to find inspiration for the Ten of Potions, a happily ever after, if you will. So yeah, missed opportunity there, too. The six of presents is just six ghosts with six presents. There is no charity vibe to this at all. So no six of pentacles vibe to this here. It has no connection whatsoever. It is pretty. It is, you know, it's a nice card to look at, but it's... It, has nothing to do with anything. The Eight of Presents. It's two elves sort of shifting presents, and then there's this large sack that is apparently being hoisted into Santa's sleigh just above their heads. And to me, this is more of a teamwork vibe, less about, like, buckling down and nose to the grindstone. Why not, you know, depict an elf working solo or even among other elves, but, like, why not depict the single elf as the subject of the artwork um, working diligently at his post? That, to me, has a more eight of presence vibe to it. So it seems to me like that could have been tweaked a little bit nicer. The two of presents has nothing to do with anything. It's two, uh, two jack-in-the-boxes. One of them has a jack-o'-lantern head. One of them has a black cat head. Um, it has nothing to do with balance. has nothing really to do with anything. Like, it's, it's just two random jack-in-the-boxes. So that's not really two of pentacles to me. The seven of presents is seven presents, and there's some wrapping on the ground, and it has, again, nothing to do with anything. It's just a scene with boxes. It's wrapped boxes kids that's that's what we've got going on for the seven of presents nothing nothing oh and look here we've got the same thing for the nine of presents ah but we've changed the background color so that's what differentiates it but they are essentially the same card if you look at these side by side as i am doing now you would not like if i covered up the words on the bottom that tell you what the card is you'd have to count the presents to know and that is the only way you'd be able to tell the difference and in that way they're not really better than a pip card a pip you know, tarot deck, which is fine if that's what you're accustomed to reading from, but, like, this is claiming, I believe, to be a fully illustrated deck, and it's like, this is some lazy illustration here, because you don't have figures, you've got pips, you've just got presents, and the only thing that makes it right for that card is that the, it's the appropriate number of that thing. Um, we're going to have more criticism in that vein for the Three of Candles. Uh, we will also have that same criticism for the Ten of Candles, although it is way more obvious which is which there, because the Ten has obviously visually more candles to it than the Three, so even if you cover up those titles, you can tell the difference. Unfortunately, we didn't stop there, though. We had the Three, the Ten, we also are doing the Six of Candles in that way, as well as the Nine of Candles in that way. Oh, and we're not stopping there, kids. We've also done the Seven, and that's all from that suit, but good heavens, one, two, three, four, five, that's literally half the suit of candles is just represented by literal candles, dribbly candles, dribbly, let's see here, three of them are in some sort of candelabra, and two are just dribbly white candles against a black background, that's all. The five cards from that suit just have nothing to do with anything. They're just they're just pips essentially, just pips, candles. Not into it. Feel feel cheated by those cards <laughs> in an otherwise beautifully illustrated deck, you know. 
The Two of Candles is not ideal because it has nothing to do with anything and is essentially pips, but at least it offers more visual interest than another candelabra. At least this time, the candles are being held by snake sconces. But yeah, it's essentially the same problem there. So that would be six pretty bad uh, cards from the pips uh, in, in the suit of candles. And then the last one uh, from that same suit is... Actually, actually, no, I've got two more cards from that suit. The Eight of Candles I don't like because it is essentially just eight candles, but at least it's got um, some weird, cool monster in the background for it. But again, that weird, cool monster has nothing to do with anything, and you wouldn't know this was the Eight of Candles unless you counted up the candles. So again, it's just a pip card. Uh, and the same with the Four of Candles. It is a depiction of the four vampires, and each one is holding a single candle, but we've just got four vampires, each holding one candle has nothing to do particularly with celebration or, you know, that kind of thing that you get out of the 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 traditional Rider Waite Smith imagery there too. So these uh, these are my main criticisms for for the cards that I did not think worked very well. As you can see, most of my problems with it was just when I saw that like eh, it felt like a corner was cut here, or it felt like no real work went into figuring out what we could use from the source material to depict the scene and give the vibe that the card needs. It seems like there could have been some some better choices made some of the time. That being said. Overall, this deck is a nice one. I would not recommend it if you are first starting out. I would not recommend it as a first tarot deck. But if you are at the stage where you have learned and you are growing tired of the traditional Rider-Waite-Smith imagery and you're wanting just something a little bit different and you love The Nightmare Before Christmas, then this deck will definitely satisfy you. The reason I would say you need to be there is because you will already have an idea about you will have you will have memorized your keywords you will know without needing to actually see the imagery what each card means in the traditional Rider Waite Smith sense or rather what probably happens is you'll be able to bring that card's imagery to mind and it will clue you in on how to interpret that is how it often works for me and so uh, since you will have that sort of software in place, this deck will actually help you because when you draw a card like the Nine of Candles, which is just literally nine candles on a card, you will think to yourself, okay, well, first of all, it's candles. That means it's wands, Nine of Wands. What's the traditional Rider-Waite-Smith look like? Oh, yeah, that's that guy standing alongside the highway with a bandage over his head and sort of nine wands, well, eight wands, and then uh, planted in the ground behind him, and then he's carrying one, I think. That's kind of how I remember the. I just. I, that's that would have been my exact thought process, but that at one point would not have come so easily to me. If this is the first deck that you are going to that is deviating from the traditional Rider Waite Smith imagery, that process will not be automatic yet, and so you will want practice getting that down. And it is a deck that can help you with that. So, so yeah, I say it's a good second or third deck. It's a definitely a nice one to have in the collection. And I that being said, I fully anticipate that I will probably have quite a few clients interested in my reading from this deck around next Halloween, around next Samhain. Uh, I definitely will be offering readings that have a sort of Halloween or spooky vibe to them. And this will probably be one of the featured decks that I use. I do I am developing a small collection around that. Um, 
um, a sub-collection, if you will, around that time of year and around some of those themes. So this one will definitely be featuring there. I'll be proud to use it. I'll be proud to have its voice in my chorus of tarot decks. So don't hear me. I mean, as harsh as my criticism can sound and as harsh as I can <laughs> come across when talking about um, the tarot uh, artwork and, you know, that sort of thing, it's just because I'm passionate about it. And it's just because I've got uh, firm opinions. This, you know, all of this ought to be taken with a grain of salt. Uh, what was it? It's one of my favorite quotes is uh, from the character of Anton Ego from uh, Ratatouille. And he says, In many ways, the work of a critic is easy. We risk very little, yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and their selves to our judgment. We thrive on negative criticism, which is fun to write and to read. But the bitter truth we critics must face is that in the grand scheme of things, the average piece of junk is probably more meaningful than our criticism designating it so. So, <laughs> anytime you get really, really critical of somebody else's work, somebody that's produced something, you know, that effort has gone in, the production lines have, have run, and they've put it out in the store, they've distributed it. I mean, that's a tremendous amount of work, and it represents uh, somebody else's passion. At least on some level, somebody was passionate about it uh, at some point. And so I think that it's important to remember that and to keep it in perspective when offering up criticism about decks. So, so these are my honest reactions to the Nightmare Before Christmas tarot deck and the guidebook. Uh, like I said, available for around $20 on Amazon, and I would say it's overall a pretty good buy, all things considered. I hope you have enjoyed my reactions, I hope you have enjoyed my flights of fancy and my wanderings, and I hope that it helps you to make an informed decision about whether or not you'd like to add this deck to your collection. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you again next time.